The following program, Pilgrim's Progress, is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip answered, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father, that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least, believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Again, we're going to talk together about the simple but yet profoundly deep things of God. If you want to understand the depths of what it means to walk with Jesus, then set aside the next hour, cancel whatever you had to do, and just focus with me on Jesus. Because all of the answers of your heart are found in Jesus Christ. The answers are not found on the internet. They're not found in the television. They're not found in the sporting activities of the day. They're not even found in the political issues of the day. The deepest hunger of your heart can only be answered in the person of Jesus Christ. He is God. And so today... I want to share with you more of the story that I have begun. I've been sharing with you from a book entitled Remarkable Miracles by C.G. Bevington. This is a Logos classic book. It's an old-timer. G.C. Bevington, or Guy Bevington, was born the late 1800s and began his ministry in southern part of Ohio, all through Tennessee, 
And his life was, it was accompanied by incredible miracles. We want to get right at the root of what those miracles were flowing out of. What was the life this man lived that he had such incredible power in the Spirit? Well, you'll quickly discover that there were two foundations upon which this power was received. The first was a real life of prayer. A real life of prayer. Not a polite praying, but real prayer. And the second foundation was the reading and the trusting of the Word of God. Prayer and the reading of the Word. Those are the two issues. So I'm going to come back and begin to read. Because yesterday I did not open the phone line, some of you thought I was perhaps not available and that it was a rebroadcast. So today, early on in the broadcast, I'd like to give you that telephone number and invite you to call. Some of you have questions regarding prayer. Some of you have questions regarding the reading of Scripture. I'd be happy to talk and pray with you. If there is growing in your heart a great hunger for the deep answers that your soul desires, then I invite you to call. Our our number in studio is 877-534-0780. I'll give you the number again. Call now, 877-534-0780. Now, I've been giving you a background on Guy Bevington, He was only 13 years old when he was sent to live with his uncle because he was a sickly young man. His uncle lived in Elkhart, Indiana, on the outskirts, and there was a tamarack tree gum that he was sent there to chew. His father believed that if he chewed this gum, he, he would be healed. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. There was some component of the tamarack gum that healed him. And then, rather than return home to his father, who was a backslidden and rather harsh Methodist pastor, he fled. He ran away. And I've been sharing with you the story of this journey. Now, it is a frightening journey if you consider a young man, almost 14 years of age, by himself, walking long distances in the bitter winter, he could easily have frozen to death. His life was very much threatened. But at just the right time, God would open the door and protection would be provided. Food and shelter would be provided. It's in this journey that he is offered an incredible proposition that would have set him for life financially. But he turned away from it because it also included taking care of a saloon, cleaning the glasses, sweeping the floor, working in the saloon. He turned aside from it because his mother had made him promise that he would never enter a saloon. And in his boyish heart, 
He knew that if his mother had taken that position because she was a holy woman, there must be something evil about a saloon. And so he continued his journey. Now, I shared this part yesterday, but I'm going to read it for you again because it is right at the heart of why Guy Bevington is writing this material to us so that we can understand the foundation of his life. And I would ask you, what is the foundation of your life? What is the foundation upon which your entire life is built? He is now going to have that foundation established in his life. Let me share it with you. Finally, I raised my head, and I saw a large tree several rods from the road. I walked up to the tree and dropped down to the ground where I thought I should say the only prayer I'd ever undertaken to say. Now I lay me down to sleep. I thought that that might lift me out of the despondency, and it was settled deep on my heart like a dark and heavy cloud. I began with the familiar words that, now being almost 14 years of age, I supposed were quite enough. I believed I was about to offer the finest prayer I'd ever offered up to God, for suddenly I began to really pray, and then I got lost in prayer. I was under that tree for nearly two hours. I don't even know what all I prayed. But I well remember that the clouds began to break and roll away, and it seemed I was being lifted up onto a plane I had never visited before. Has this ever occurred to you? Have you ever been lost in prayer? If you have never been lost in prayer, it's probably because you've never really prayed. Any man or woman who really prays will get lost in prayer. Now, one of the problems that is very common is that men and women decide they're going to pray, and they kneel down or they lay down, or they sit down, and soon they're fast asleep. Well, why would that be true? Simply this, they're not in touch with their real heart, and they're not in touch with their real condition before God. If they understood the dire situation of their life, if they understood their real condition before God, they would not go to sleep. But they go to sleep because they're Americans. They're rich Americans. They have a life of of ease and luxury compared to most of the world. And so they pray because they might need a few more babbles in their life. They might need a few trinkets or toys in their life. They might like to have their pain eased a little bit. They might want to pray for someone. I want to be honest with you. 
I don't pray for anyone anymore unless the Holy Spirit tells me to pray for them because I know it's pointless ritual. Well, pastor, what do you do about people who say, will you pray for me? I say, I'll ask the Lord if I can pray for you. I will not say, oh, yes, I'll pray for you. I don't have time. I only have time to pray prayers that are going to be answered. The reason I pray is to have my prayers answered in the physical realm. I don't pray as ritual. I don't pray as an exercise of catharsis so that I'll feel better. I don't pray out of a sense of duty. I pray out of a desperate inner sense of absolute need. The reason so few of you pray is that you have such a little amount of need or you don't believe that Jesus is real. It's one of the two. And frankly, most people today don't have a real pressing need in their lives. Oh, there are some things they'd like changed, of course. There are some things they'd like to have in their lives that they don't have, maybe a new car, maybe a new house, maybe some new clothing. Yes, they'd like to have this person come to Jesus. Let me tell you, if you're praying for a list of people, stop. Don't do it. Ask the Lord which person on this list he would like to have you pray for. And then make the sacrifice to get serious with God about that one person. And pray for that person until you're answered. If the Lord will prompt you to pray for someone, it's because he wants to do something in that person's life. And he now is asking, can I do that through you? If that prayer can be answered through you, now go ahead and answer your own prayer. Don't pray for money for missions if you have money in your pocket. Give your money. Sacrifice. You know, I would say to you, don't pray for this broadcast unless you're willing to back your prayer up with the finances to help make this broadcast stay on the air. Otherwise, your prayer is an empty, hollow gong sounding before God. Don't pray empty prayers. Don't pray foolish prayers. Don't pray to fulfill some religious duty or some ritual that you feel or have been taught is important. Prayer is actually communing with the God of heaven. Prayer is coming into the throne room of God where you will be heard, provided there is not sin in your life, provided there is not open rebellion against the Most High. And then if you're going to be heard in the throne room, you've got to go and talk to him about that rebellion. And you've got to stay there and deal with it until it's done. For many years, I was fenced out of the throne room of God. Oh, I prayed, but I was fenced out. And I had to pray about that fence for several years before it was removed. And finally, heaven's gate was opened, and I was allowed to enter the throne room of God where my prayers could be heard and answered. 
You see, this issue of prayer is something that is as deep as an ocean. And this young man, on his pilgrimage, not knowing how to pray, not even thinking he was saved, certainly knowing he was not regenerate, certainly knowing his heart was filled with anger and fear and bitterness. He was angry with his dad. He he didn't like the way his dad put a yoke on his shoulders. Oh, he loved his mother, but not his dad. This young man is being led by the Holy Spirit to a crisis place where finally, without even knowing how to do it, he is going to get down on his face before God, and God is going to begin to move in his life and is going to bring forth a prayer that God will answer. I remember when I was in college, I was a theology student, and this was just a bit before the Jesus movement. I was a floor monitor, meaning... In our college, it was a very conservative holiness college. And everyone had to be in their room from 7.30 till 9.30. It was a study hall time. And I was the floor monitor to ensure that everyone stayed in their room. And I had to do a room check, going door by door, checking to make sure that all the students were in and accounted for. If they were not, I had to report them to the dean of men. I came to one room, and in that room I knew were two men who were total renegade unbelievers. And that night, the worst sinner that I knew was beginning to play with drugs said to me, Ray, would you come down after the lights go out at 10 o'clock and would you pray with us? I was absolutely shocked. I stammered. I said, yes, I'll do that. At 10 o'clock, I went to their, to their room, to their dorm room. I found the dorm room filled. Every corner, every seat, it was filled. And it was not filled with the religious people on campus. It was filled with the renegades. It was filled with the sinners. I entered the room, and they said, Ray, thank you for coming. We wanted to include you tonight because we really need to pray. Can you tell us how? Well, I thought for a minute, and I said, well, look, why don't you just talk to God like you talk to each other? And just tell God what you think about him, what you think about yourself, and ask him if he'll come and direct your life. They said, okay, we can do that. I have never in my life heard prayer like I heard that night. These men, they began to just talk to God. God, I don't know you. You don't know me. We're strangers. 
but I think I'd like to get to know you. I don't know how to even start. And on the prayers went, honest, open, seeking after God. There were tears that night among those men in the dark. We had no electricity. There was no light in the room. I could hear the sniffles, though. Men were weeping. The Holy Spirit came down on that room that night. From then until I left, almost every night I was in their room after 10 o'clock. And we prayed. And we prayed. And we prayed. And many of those men's lives were utterly transformed and they entered into the service of Jesus. God wants to arrange your life in such a manner that you will finally begin to pray. You're going to have to begin to pray probably a lot like these men did. You don't know what to say. Because all, if you have prayed, all you've prayed are religious prayers, and Jesus doesn't like religious prayers. He likes a a real prayer, one that flows out of your heart with no pretense, no arrogance, just coming before God and being honest with him. I remember when I began finally to pray, I was not very nice. I said things to God that today I'm ashamed of. Things like, God, I don't believe you're even real. If you're real, show up for me. This is what your scriptures say. But I haven't experienced that. So if you're real, you're going to have to prove it to me. Well, a man should never say things like that to God. But I'll tell you what. God would much rather have that kind of prayer than some smooth, milk-toast guy espousing his wonderful philosophy and logic, trying to show himself as a holy man before somebody. God wants real prayer. He wants honest prayer. He wants us to talk to him about the real stuff going on in our lives, not all this religious stuff. Until a man or woman, a boy or girl, finally gets down on their face, and really begins to pray, nothing is going to happen for you except religion, which is void of all meaning and empty and utterly boring. I'm so bored by religion. I don't consider following Jesus religion. It's a relationship with a real person. And he's not a tame wolf. He's a real person. He's a a man, a real man. He's the son of man. He's fully God and fully man. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules. He governs the whole universe. He maintains it by the power of his word. This is who we're talking to when we pray. It says, I began to really pray and then got lost in prayer. 
I was under that tree for nearly two hours. I don't even know what I prayed. But I well remember that the clouds began to break and roll back, and it seemed I was being lifted up onto a plane I'd never visited before. I remember saying, God, just lead me to a religious home where they read the Bible and pray as Mother did. I became very happy. I rose from under that tree most wonderfully blessed. I believe I was regenerated then, but not knowing what regeneration was and being so young, Satan kept me from realizing that this was conversion. You see, you can't help but be converted when you get real with prayer. You have to be converted. The Holy Spirit will convert you. When you get lost in prayer, your life is changed. And if you go to sleep while you're praying, it's because you're refusing to acknowledge who you really are before the living God. If you'll get real, you'll wake right up. If you'll get to the real issues of your life, you'll wake right up. You'll, you'll be like you were on a live wire. And you better have your seatbelt on, as Annie Dillard used to say, you better have your seatbelt on and your crash helmet on because you're in for a ride. Are you bored with your religion? Are you bored with the entertainment at the church? I am. Are you bored with all the smooth-sounding words? I am sick of it. I want the real deal. I want the unvarnished truth about Jesus. See, I'm planning on spending my eternity with him. So I guess I'd better be well acquainted now if I plan on going and spending eternity with him. Would you go live with someone for eternity if you'd never met them and didn't know them? I don't think so. You wouldn't know what you were getting in for. It's time to meet Jesus. It's time to pray. It's time to talk to him. It's time to get real about our lives and stop playing games with ourselves as well as God and other people. Now, this strange thing happened to him. He began to, to run. He was so happy. He was so filled with elation that he just he began to run and shout at the top of his lungs praises to God, laughing and jumping and crying aloud. This is what is described that used to happen all the time in the church. Azuzu Street. This is what happened. When people came and got real with God and came through and God came and met them, great joy would fill their heart and they'd begin to shout and dance. They were excited. Now most churches are, are more like dance halls, more like Madison Avenue theaters on Broadway. Or... They're like morgues where everybody's dead, following their little ritual prayer books, their foolish church calendars. Do you understand? This man, this young boy, ran for hours under the mighty something that made him feel as he'd never felt before. 
Well, he continues his journey. While he'd been at his uncle's home, there was a niece of his from Michigan that had spent several months there, and she was a friend of an old schoolmate of his uncle's. And he decided that that's where he was going to go. This man was a wealthy farmer in Michigan. So he was aiming to reach this uncle, or this uncle's friend. And he reached the town in the early evening and asked the way to this friend of his uncle's home. And it was only four miles away. So he set out again, walking until at last he was confident that he'd walked at least four miles, but he had not seen the sign that he was told would mark the way to go. So about three hours later, a man came by on a bobsled and asked, and he asked him how far it was to Brush Ridge Schoolhouse. He said, my dear boy, you're 12 or 14 miles from there. No, I said. They said it was only four miles from the last town. He told me that was quite true, but somehow I had taken the wrong road at the lake and was now at least ten miles from the lake. If I was to go back, it would be another fourteen miles. Recognizing my plight, he asked me to go home with him and spend the night as he lived only five miles from where I wanted to go. But some of that old fear arose in me that a trap was being sent to take me back to my uncle's. The inner bell, as Brother Culp calls it, in my innermost being kept ringing. So I declined his offer. So the man said the farm I saw it was only about seven miles away as the crow flies, and the moon was shining brightly on the snow, and the man told me that he would show me how to sight a line by using certain trees to make a path straight to the place. He worked with me and showed me how to do that, and finally understanding the trick of keeping the line, I started off across the countryside. I was in for a fierce struggle. The snow was drifted over the fences, and I went down three times way over my head. I had a terrible time digging out. I... I would then get on my feet and go back along my track and get my line again. The temperatures were falling and a crust formed on the snow and I kept breaking through. But finally I sighted my goal, a great mansion larger than any building I had ever seen. It stood three stories high and was all lit up from top to bottom. I wondered what could be going on at that time of the morning. I ventured closer and saw no sign of anything to fear. So leaving my meager belongings at the gate, I cautiously walked up on the porch. I heard unusual noises for that time, noises that I did not understand. I stood there as hungry as a bear, yet trembling from head to foot like a kitten. Oh, how I dreaded to knock on that door. But I knew I just couldn't stand there as someone might come out and accuse me of being a sneak. So I stepped up to knock, but my courage failed me. So I hurried off the porch and started back the way I had come. But then I argued with myself, perhaps someone inside 
was sick, which might explain the strange noises. Without argument in favor of knocking, I walked back up on the porch, plunged right up to the door, and rapped quickly before I lost my courage again. Someone called out, Come in! So I opened the door and peered inside. I saw a great big fat man who looked so fatherly. I felt safe to step inside, and he said, Take a chair, bub. Shivering from the long exposure to the cold and my as yet unsettled nerves, I sidled up to the big stove. I swallowed and cleared my throat and then said, I'm from Uncle Dave Verusis in Indiana. The man's face brightened immediately, and he began to ask after the welfare of his old school chum. His wife came in, and the man said, Mama, bring this boy something to eat. Being too stingy to break the $5 bill that Mary had slipped into my basket the morning before, I hadn't eaten for days, I felt. I said nothing and just sat there trembling. I thought I would eat whatever she brought as long as the people making all the noise stayed elsewhere in that big mansion. I was quite fearful of the sounds that I could hear coming from many parts of the house. Finally, the wife brought me a nice steaming meal, and put it in front of me on a stand with a little white tablecloth. Oh, it looked so tempting. It was hot mashed potatoes, hot mince pie, and a tempting piece of cake. It was so, so inviting and appealing to my stomach, but I was torn between looking at it and still watching all the doors. See, I want you to catch. Here's a young boy a farm boy, shy, no social graces. But he has cried out to God. And God is now on his track. And he can't get comfortable in this house. In fact, he's terrified to be there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is troubling him and saying, move on, move on, move on. But he hasn't walked long enough after this short time from when he was converted in his prayer to understand what God is saying to him. Well, the big fat man said, well, bub, there it is again. They were calling me bub. That's what my dad used to call me. Come now, sit up and have something to eat. Well, I buckled up the courage and was just about to take a bite when the large door swung open and out marched a lady and a gentleman in fine clothing. The lady's dress had a long silken train, and the man wore long coattails, and everyone had flowers. I ducked my head between my knees and huddled as close to the stove as I dared to get. They stared at me as they passed, though until I felt like a whipped dog. Trembling fearfully after they had left, I said, I must go. Go, said the man. Where are you going? I said, to the next town. He looked at me thoughtfully, and then he told me to sit down and eat something and go to bed. He said I looked tired and obviously needed a good night's rest. 
If I had to go to the next town, the boys, he said, would take me in the morning. Who do you know in the next town? No one, I answered truthfully. Well, then stay here, he announced. But now I was so scared by the display of the of the rich clothing and all the fixings and this big mansion, I knew I could never stay. So I got up and I just walked out and I headed for the next place. It was four miles away. I'd never been so hungry and so tired in my life. It was just dawn when I arrived at that town. The girl who had been at my uncle's lived yet another nine miles further. I continued to trudge on, wondering what I was going to do. But God was watching out for me. Although I had made what seemed to be terrible blunders, I believed everything that happened was in accordance with his will, that he might answer the prayer I had prayed the day before under the tree. Now, please, I need to say something that may seem very strange to you. When you pray and you are real, you may forget that prayer in a day or so. Yea, you may forget in an hour. But God does not forget. And if your prayer was honest before him, he begins to order your steps. There's a man I consider my son. I dearly love him. He has been through such a desperate, excruciatingly difficult time for the past 10 years. But I know that all that he has gone through for the past 10 years, including many of his blunders, has behind it all the hand of a merciful and kind and loving God ordering his steps toward the place that he asked God to take him. I can't tell you how many times I've made awful mistakes in my life. I've made wrong decisions. I've made decisions that were against the will of God. And yet in all of my blundering these last 40 years, I know that in all of the blundering, I've now been a pastor, oh, over 42 years. I know that in all of the blundering that I've made through this has always been in response to my childhood prayers that God could use me someday for the work of his kingdom. I know I'm here speaking with you now in answer to my mother and my father's prayers and in answer to my prayer. There have been times when I have tried to escape the work of the ministry and the Lord has not allowed me. And then finally there came a time in the painful walk that God has led me through where I finally said, Lord, I want to leave the work of the ministry. I want to go. I have a business opportunity. I can make 
$100,000 plus a year. I can live a somewhat normal life. I will not be homeless. This opportunity has been provided to me. I want to take it. And he said to me, Ray, if you want to leave, you may leave and I will bless you. You have been faithful. I understand. But it's not my best for you. My best for you is that you continue suffering in the work of the ministry as I've called you. And I will one day use you in revival power for the work of the gospel. Now I tell you, the decision was square in front of me. But he said one more thing. If you choose to continue, you will never again say to me, I want to leave. I want to quit. You must choose. It was a hard choice because the business opportunity lay right before me and I could live for the first time in my life a normal life and have a very fine income and live as most people live in America. But I kept hearing the Holy Spirit say, but this is not my best for you. And I must tell you, from the time I was a child, I have always wanted the best. I finally went before the Lord with tears. And I said, Lord, I will take the vow. I will take your best. And I will never again say that I want to quit. I will follow you. There was no answer. Just a quietness stole into my soul. It was a couple of years later. Things were even more difficult. Finances were difficult. Jan was sick. Everything was hard. There was intense suffering. And I went into the prayer closet and I laid all of this suffering out before the Lord. And I said, Lord, you asked me to make a covenant that I would never leave. I would never say I'm going to quit. Now I need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. And very quietly the Holy Spirit spoke and he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And I fell on my face, weeping before God. I went back and I told my wife, the Lord just spoke and he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And I want to bear testimony today that the suffering has not let up. I lost my precious wife some time after that 
when she died of cancer. But even in the midst of that utter brokenness, I was fully conscious that God had not left me, that his presence was still accompanying me. When I was faced with this crisis of continuing on the radio, and I spent several nights in prayer before the Lord, all I could hear was, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And it gave me the courage to say, I'll stand with no money in my pockets, with no money in the church checkbook. I'll stand. I'll stand. And God opened the door by paying half of the radio for the month of November, for the month of December, and the month of January. But there still remains the other half. And I want to tell you, when I went to the mail, there was an envelope from a precious couple, and they had sent a thousand dollars for radio for November. I'd never received anything from them before. They're not churched people. They're precious in the sight of God. They listen to the radio. But they're what would be called backsliders. Except the wife really never was a Christian. But God is doing a work in their hearts. They've been moved by what they hear, what they experience. And God is calling after them and His rich mercy is upon them, and his presence is about them. His tender mercy is reaching out to them. I got that letter and began to cry. Tears. I knew only God could have moved in their hearts to make that happen. Well, they're a kind and generous couple. But I knew only God could move in their hearts to cause them to give that kind of gift for radio. And I'm very grateful and I'm humbled. I want to tell you today, God knows what blunders you've made. He knows all about the mistakes you've made. God knows all about that. But if you've cried out to God and you've asked him to order your steps, he's going to order your steps. He's going to show you the way in which you should walk. So now here he is, Guy Bevington, walking in the winter cold when suddenly a sleigh comes up. And he's invited to get in. And somehow his fear and his timidity melt away. He's brought to a house, bright lit, 
warm, where there's a sweet-faced woman waiting for him. This man had been returning from South Bend, Indiana, with a load of black walnut for the Singer Sewing Machine Company. That's why he was out so early. He said to his wife, Well, Em, here's our boy. Well, she jumped up and took a hold of his cold hands and rubbed them and kissed him. It says, Then she retrieved some hot water and washed his hands and face. And setting him down at the table, she began to pull out one dish after another from the warming oven. He said, I will never forget her motherly actions toward me that morning and that that fine table so deliciously spread before me. The man asked a blessing as we sat down and thanked God for sparing his life and allowing no accident on the trip. He thanked God for so much money for the load he just brought in and for picking up a little boy. He just talked to Jesus until he had me crying again. And he said, Amen. And his wife took her clean apron and wiped away the tears, and she kissed me again, saying, There, there now. Have some of this nice fried chicken and warm mashed potatoes and gravy. Well, I dove into those delicacies that were spread before me. All my bashfulness had been washed away. I ate and I ate and I ate. And after breakfast, the man took down a well-worn Bible and he read the 14th chapter of John. I was wonderfully impressed. I investigated where it was, and that chapter has been a great blessing to me. I've often preached holiness from that noble chapter with many being brought into God's sanctifying grace through it. You see, This was the answer to my prayer I had offered up under the tree. God had brought me into a religious home, the home of a staunch Methodist at that, the same as I'd been brought up. I was too soon. I was to soon give God my touch away that I would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that salvation was truly mine. I want to tell you, my brother, my sister, God is ordering your steps. And I'm praying that he orders your steps to come to the National Prayer Chapel this Sunday. We're for real. We pray for real. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church, located at 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. That's located right next to the Hilton Memorial Events Center in Woodbridge, Virginia. We also invite you to go to the webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you can download the message from yesterday or any of the days in the past. They're free to download. You can watch the video, or you can simply download the audio. My name is Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel. Woodbridge, Virginia, our meeting time is 12.30 on Sunday afternoon, All Saints Anglican Church. Now let me also give you the mailing address for the National Prayer Chapel. Our mailing address is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 
2346 Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, I'd like to take some time. I want to pray for you. My Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, you have such a kind and merciful heart, and you see each of those listening to this broadcast today. Lord, you know the blunders they've made in their lives. You know the mistakes. You know what they're ashamed of and what their guilt is. But Jesus, I know that with you, all of that can be transformed and washed away. I know that you have a plan for each one of their lives and that right now you're calling them to begin to get on their knees and pray. Time to open their Bibles and begin to read. Lord, I know you're calling them because they wouldn't be listening to this broadcast. They'd have no interest if you were not calling them. So, Lord, I ask now that your Holy Spirit fall upon each one, healing the brokenness of their heart and calling them into the prayer closet. I pray in your holy and precious name, Jesus, by the power of your blood. Amen. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.